Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hi, and welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey here with uh, Bart Hansen. We are... We're in the West County. We're in the West County Sebastopol uh, Welcome. today. But never go full West County. <laughs> no, of course not. No. We're in the, yeah, we're in the prime West County. All right. right? I dig that. Yeah. And we're hanging out at... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Cam- I didn't realize that was touchy. I would have <laughs> got with you. Maybe it's a high school thing. It's an Annalie El Molino thing. He's called the River Rats. Oh, okay. Okay. See? <laughs> Brianna will chip in here, too. We're all in, like, the same high school league, yeah. right? Gauchos. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Petaluma, I guess we had the, the Trojan Gauchos uh, rivalry. rivalry I, yeah. yeah. I just didn't think about it that way here. Well, well, no, well in Sebastopol, it was the Apple Cup. And, yeah, what was y'all's? Uh, the Egg Bowl. The Egg Bowl. Yeah. yeah, the Egg Bowl. Well, I, I have to admit, I went to St. Vincent's for a year or two, so go Mustangs. There you go. <laughs> God, we're all Tony's. <laughs> With the Antoninis and the Gambadinis and the Dalcinis. And the, <laughs> yeah. But we're, we're hanging out at uh, Kansler Vineyards today. We've wanted to get out here for a long time. You know, our friend Danny Faye um, has been um, um, talking up the wines, and I've had him on the list at Sante at the Sonoma Mission Inn and seen some beautiful video and pictures of this property, but it, they don't do it justice. Um, Thank you. Yeah, got a beautiful, beautiful home. So, so welcome, Alex and Bree. It's uh, nice to finally get you on the show. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, yeah it's nice to be out here. It's beautiful out here today. the The sun is shining, and um, we're having a little bit of a cooling trend here in Sonoma County, which is good, especially for ripening of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Absolutely. So, it's pumping the brakes a little bit, just at kind of an ideal time. Extend the hang time a little bit. Get us through Labor Day, which on a personal note is always a nice privilege as, right. a, as a winemaker. Get <laughs> yeah. that extra bit of R&R before uh, the hammer falls. And your winemaker's wife is happy as well. Right. So. <laughs> right. I know. I was kind of worried for a while, actually. We had those real hot days, and I thought, oh, if this is going to be the way that we're going to finish the season here, it's going to be a little rough. But we've yeah. had some really nice cooling. So, uh, you know, getting down into, you know, around 78 in Sonoma. But we've had a crazy diurnal shift over in Sonoma where we're going from 97 you know, degrees at four o'clock in the afternoon and then six o'clock in the morning, it's 52 degrees. Oh yeah. Big time. Huge, huge swings. We were discussing earlier this vineyard being a bit of a frost zone, especially down at the bottom where the cold air gathers. And we see it big time on Southern nights, summer nights too. Um, cold air just gathers at the bottom of the property, starts backing up, um, from the gully. And we, yeah, we get these really crazy early morning lows down there. And, I think the biggest one I ever saw was like 92 to 39. <laughs> wow. Took a picture of it. Yeah. It's like yeah, old it Instagram. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just from our local Davis weather station here. And, you know, that's crazy kind of desert stuff. Um, but yeah, it's what makes good grapes retain that acidity in the evenings. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's all about the acid. Perfect for Pinot Noir. All right. Well, let's talk about the history of Kansler Vineyards. I mean, this piece of property wasn't always grapes. It, uh, like a lot of properties out here, I guess, um, originally had apples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Shout out to the Gravenstein Apple. Gravenstein Apple Fair was last weekend. Sebastopol still has the Apple Blossom Festival. Um, But yeah, a lot of acreage in West Sonoma County um, got started getting converted to Pinot Noir, a similar time to when my parents undertook the venture, kind of in the mid 90s. And this um, Sebastopol Hills area, we started seeing 
uh, vineyard plantings going in like vastly, vastly dominated by Pinot Noir. There's some token amounts of Chardonnay, um, some cool climate Syrah in this area, but like vast, vast majority is yeah. Pinot Noir. We don't even see the diversity of, you know, more Chardonnay and Zinfandel and Sauvignon Blanc like you see in other parts of Russian River Valley. Yeah. Very Pinot dominant. <clears throat> and why is that exactly? We're kind of on the margins, the southwest pocket of uh, Russian River Valley that um, we kind of locally know uh, unofficially Sebastopol Hills. It's kind of on the margin of where you can successfully ripen grapes year in and year out. <laughs> We're actually looking at every vine map right now. This is a perfect kind of time to discuss it. Um, so if you kind of look out, this is Kanzler Family Vineyards right here for our listeners. Uh, shout out to everyvine.com if you want to nerd out on vineyards no, um, and look it's at true. topography and kind of see where your favorite vineyards and wineries are. It's, it's really, really neat. And how much uh, is that for this for the app? This is all crowdsourced. This yeah. is free, it's what free. we're looking at right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. $3.99. Oh, yeah. No, it's a great, great source. Yeah. Okay. We just did, we, but what we need is we need more growers to actually participate in it because totally. there's a lot of information. Like when I look up a vineyard, there's sometimes there's no information. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, you know or it's not even on there. Somebody right. hasn't taken the time to draw the lines. Yeah. But we did. So this kind of our kind of oval we got right here is the unofficial Sebastopol Hills area. Kanzler Vineyards is right in here. So we have this little collection of vineyards here. And what I like to use this map to display is if you go north or east, you're going to get into the greater Russian River Valley, um, which, you know, has pretty dense plantings, um, you know, around the 101 corridor, around West Side Road, East Side Road, et cetera. And then you can continue to go north and east from here and get into Alexander Valley, Dry Creek Valley. Tons of vineyards uh, yeah, north, yeah, basically vineyards kind of forever and wine growing regions and Appalachians. Um, if you start going south and west and of, let me kind Kanzler. of, of Kanzler, let me start kind of refocus on the Sebastopol Hills here. If you go south and west of here, you run into kind of grazing lands and the Petaluma Gap pretty quick. Yeah. And there's no more kind of green vineyards down here. Um, even the Petaluma Gap, which is the new AVA right below us, the vast majority of those plantings are on the east, east side, side of 101 because right. um, you have to get away from the water a little bit. So to answer the original question of why Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir is a notorious cool climate varietal. It likes very moderate heat. It likes a, a longer, kind of more moderate growing season. Um, and that's what we get from this neck of the woods. So it would right. just be quite difficult to consistently ripen varietals that would, you know, are found more in other parts of the Russian River Valley or certainly warmer AVAs in Sonoma County, Alexander, Dry Creek. Right. I mean, there's uh, no so doubt that decades ago, um, many, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, I'm dating myself. I should be saying more like 50 to 60 years ago, <laughs> there was Pinot Noir was typically planted in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be planted right next to Cabernet Sauvignon yeah. um, or next to Zinfandel. And it wasn't until, let's say, at the 90s, I think, that maybe people started to identify that cooler climate. I think of like when all that lame wines were starting to really kind of take foot. Um, in my they were mind, to get some notoriety and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm honestly the wrong person to ask about history. I've only been making wine here for 13 years, so there's people you know walk this ground. But in my mind, it goes back to kind of the classic West Side Road, like Rocchioli. Right. You know, Rocchioli is almost the bullseye of of Sonoma County Pinot Noir, and then it just started working at concentric circles from there, and it went to slightly warmer areas, slightly cooler areas. Um, but you know. 
there was kind of those those early trendsetters, and I think of Rokioli, I think of Joseph Swan, I right. think of Tom Dalinger, right. um, and that I think was uh, Davis Bynum, kind of late '70s, yep. early '80s. But then it took a while to get momentum. There were these kind of early pioneers, but then you didn't see sort of a critical mass for for yeah, and and Pinot Noir, yeah, Pinot Noir just wasn't as popular at the time. Cabernet was still king, and um, or is I guess some people king, say king still, cab, yeah, king, right, and stuff, but. The, the, that this area was all primarily planted to orchards mm-hmm. and for a long time orchards were profitable mm-hmm. and there was a place to deliver them locally um, and they were processed and um, and that all changed and so that was also probably had something to do with it is landowners looking seeing their neighbor trying it you know maybe their neighbor you know two or three miles away doing it and saying yeah. well i'm not that much different than they are and well, um, if, at the end of the day, we're farmers, right? And farmers are obligated to do and need to do what's profitable. So, yeah, there was an apple industry. There was a hop industry. Mm-hmm. There were there was a plum industry. I think for a while there were tree nuts in Sonoma County. You know, there was you know, almonds or cashews or something. And again, I'm probably not the right person yeah, to ask about the industry. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then the dairies were here also, and maybe not as much here, but there was definitely, you know. Well, and there still is, again, you know, I mean, referencing uh, back to the map, you go south and you're in grazing lands around right. Two Rock. Yeah, and, just um, a couple Tamales. miles away is yeah. the crow flies. Yeah. So. so anyway, go back to your parents took on um, the property and planted in vines. There was well, no house. There was an old, decrepit apple orchard. Your parents came out here. From where? So I was born in the East Bay. I was born in Oakland. Um, we did a five-year stint as a family in uh, Seattle. My dad was at Microsoft in like the late '80s, early '90s, and then I think the weather got him down a little bit. And they were they were California people. Uh, my parents met in the East Bay, um, and so they always kind of wanted to come back to California. So I think when they were looking to move back down here, they kind of started in Marin County and then started working their way north um, and ended up in Sebastopol. Um, but yeah, as Brianna was just saying, when they bought this piece of property, it was like a decrepit, non-producing, like you couldn't pay someone to pick the apples, apple orchard. Um, yeah, it was Bart's, uh, you know, anecdotes about having the market for it and being, having a place to take it and process it and be profitable. That was like long gone. And, you know, people were getting rid of these orchards. Um, so they built the house first, um, planted some raspberries. My dad loves that story. There's actually a photo of it right here in the dining room. (laughs) That's all raspberries. Those aren't grapes. Seriously. (laughs) What, what now? Wait a minute. Okay. So anyone out there that has picked raspberries or blackberries or whatever, it's, it's fun to do for, you know, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And usually you're out there in the heat. Now, if you're smart, you're wearing some kind of glove uh, because you're getting stuck all the time. And then there's bees. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So how how does that happen? Is is that a um, um, is there a way to mechanically harvest the raspberries? This was not for profit. This was purely for fun. Why would you plant that many for fun? I think because that's what my dad liked to have for breakfast. Like this was a very like 1.0 new to the area. But you know, he just sounded like fun yeah. to him. Okay, but he I, knows they're all pretty much coming up at this in the same totally. two week window. Exactly. Of the year, I right? still ask my mother in law, like Linda, why why raspberries? She goes, Oh, we just thought it would be fun for Melissa and Alex to pick the raspberries, go sell them at the top of the road. Nobody drives down this yeah. road, especially it's like back pretty then. Rural. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny the way it's laid out in the semicircle. It kind of reminds me of. Um, the, the way the city, what is it, Black Rock City at Burning Man is laid out. <laughs> oh, know? he's like concentric circles yeah, concentric around the house. Yeah, concentric circles around the house. Man here. Right. Oh, 
<laughs> we used to have adult summer camps. So. Oh yeah. Well, if our if my in laws are listening, if your parents hear that, uh, don't mention the slip and slide flip cup. Okay. <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> Closer to our collegiate years. Yeah. Right. Okay. So at what point does he say, okay, you know what? That's probably too many raspberries that I can eat for breakfast, and maybe we should try something else. Yeah. So our neighbor um, who owns the property on our, our southern side here is uh, Perry Kozlowski. Uh, Kozlowski family, grand old Sonoma County farming family. Got a farm store in Forestville. Um, very successful pie and jam business. Yep. And so my dad went and knocked on Perry's door, you know, the experienced Sonoma County farmer and said, Perry, you know, I'm your new neighbor and this is what we've been up to. It's not going great. You know, what do you think we should do with this land? And in a bit of irony, Perry, primarily an apple farmer at the time, said, you know, something to the extent of, you know, you can plant apples in 48 states in this country and you can grow premium wine grapes a handful of places in the world. This is one of them. If I were you, I'd plant grapes. And that got my dad down the path of, um, you know, getting that idea into his head. And then he kind of plugged himself into the industry, he took the courses at the JC. He started going to seminars. He, wow. you know, even went down to Saintsbury at one point down in Carneros and tasted clones because they were one of the earlier wineries doing clonal, you know, selections when a lot of these things started becoming available through UC Davis. Um, and then he met um, our eventual and still current vineyard manager, Eric Neal, around that time. And Eric and my dad laid out the vineyard. Wow. And so the original plan is let's grow some grapes. We're going to make our own wine or we're just no. going to, we want to be surrounded by beautiful vineyards and sell off the fruit, sell all the fruit for right. almost 10 years. Yeah. So the, the vineyard started getting planted in 95, 96 and we sold all the fruit through Oh three. And, uh, we were selling to uh, landmark in Sonoma Valley actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, my dad got friendly with at their, at the time their assistant winemaker and now their winemaker, Greg stock. And so Greg and my dad picked second crop in the vineyard, made a half a barrel of wine, and they ended up bottling it and then serving it at my sister's wedding that was on that lawn in on summer the grass 2004. That you're at right now, <laughs> yeah, 2004. Like, yeah, and my sister was pretty young when they got married. It was a good, good big party. A lot of people. We had a good amount of liquor. My brother-in-law's a Scotsman. Had a lot of good scotch there. Had some kegs of beer. Um, and had all this leftover liquor and beer in the morning, but the wedding party drank like cases of this Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, I loved it. yeah, well, this, you know, could be pretty good. Um, so that was kind of the jump off for our brand. Um, we also had the privilege of working with and still working with some incredibly uh, notable wineries that were doing really great things with the fruit. Um, worked with Landmark for a lot of years. And, um, you know, those early mid 90s, or excuse me, early mid aughts, especially kind of saw that meteoric rise of New World Pinot Noir. Uh, we were working with Costa Brown and still do, and they started getting these incredible scores and the, the huge mailing lists and the wait lists. And, um, you know, Pinot Noir really started to take off there. It seems like what around 2003, yeah, 2004. Right. The Costa Brown Kanzler put us on the map and vice versa. And And there's no doubt that as a grower, when you see someone having success with your grapes and you know what you're selling them grapes for and and (laughs) you may be making money on that, but then it doesn't take long to figure out that, boy, if we could do that ourselves, Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a big if though. That is. (laughs) I know that, but, but 
but you figure, you know, we can find, I can find a winemaker, right? You know, and it takes time. It takes mm -hmm. time to find someone to get you started or to just jump in feet first, you know, depending on what you do. And yeah. Well, in part, like we always small. say, there's making the wine is the easy part. It's the selling of the wine. <laughs> that is just we not. In, that's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> he yeah. makes it, I sell it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a Jess Jackson quote, I think. We're not in the wine making business. We're in the wine selling business. Right. <laughs> Don't forget it, right? <laughs> yeah, ever. Actually, your Danny Faye, his, uh, you want to make one less bottle of wine than you're able to sell. That's one yeah. of Danny's uh, mottos also. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is people always forget there's nothing wrong with um, selling out. Yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't look that bad that if, you know, one of the wines on your website says sold out because people will go, hmm, I guess I missed that one. Right. Or, ooh, I didn't buy enough of that one. So, so. Keep buying wine, folks, because we like to we'd like to get to that sold out. <laughs> yeah. All Friends right. that are more you know wine novice of mine, they ask me, you know, how do you how do you learn about this wine? Or they see me swirling a glass. What are you doing? Tell me what you're you know what you're doing. People that are just getting into wine, just drink more. Just drink yeah. more. That's yeah. Practice makes perfect. Drink more wine. Yeah. People ask that when they you know when you introduce yourself as a psalm at the table and, and a lot of people are like, Oh, how do you become a psalm? I said, it's real easy. Yeah. You drink a lot of wine. A lot of wine. <laughs> it's the only... What time is it? It's 11 AM right now. I mean, yeah. right. <laughs> here we yeah. are. Yeah. And by this time yesterday, I think we had had six wines in us. Yeah. yeah. So did. that's, that's well, you're the halfway there right now. Yeah. Right. It's, number three. Yeah. yeah. It's been a good couple of days of podcasting for Brian and I. Awesome. Um, can you walk us through these first two wines that we have here? Yeah. Sure, yeah. So we make um, four Pinot Noirs total. Um, kind of have two in the glass right now, side by side. So the one on the left is our 2017 Russian River Pinot Noir, uh, and then our 2017 Mayfee Pinot Noir, just tasting current releases right now. So we release these in the spring. So well, we're only, sorry. No, sorry. I, I just wanted to explain to people if, if they are familiar with Kanzler, do you want to just talk briefly about the Sonoma Coast um, Russian River um, designation on the bottle? Yeah, definitely. Um, let's take a step back. Um, oh, because we were talking about, oh, I said Russian River AVA wine. Yeah. So we, um, uh, we're we in the Russian River Valley right now in this unofficial neighborhood we call Sebastopol Hills. Um, Russian River is a fairly big AVA with a good amount of diversity. So um, we locally talk about the Russian River in different neighborhoods. Um, there's six of them now. Um, and we're starting to get that message out into the world. So I'll talk about Sebastopol Hills because it's this southwest pocket that we find ourselves in. But we used to be in Sonoma Coast, and we made the change to Russian River um, because of this um, ability to talk more about Sebastopol Hills, our specific neck of the woods right here. And uh, also felt the Russian River Valley just helped identify our wines and our terroir a little bit more uh, accurately than Sonoma Coast, which is a, a pretty darn big AVA, right. all things considered. Right. The Russian River Valley that you're drinking on your left is a combination of uh, primarily the estate. So this one, I believe, was 70% estate fruit here at the vineyard we're sitting on. Uh, we also lease and farm the Walker Station Vineyard, which is two acres of Pinot Noir that we uh, blend into the Russian River. And we add in some of our May fee that we buy a little bit of fruit just up the road here. And 2% comes from a small vineyard that we get fruit from oh, wind uh, horse like a make-believe vineyard yeah it's a cool cool pr fruit profile though and rounds out the blend really nicely Wait, so how did you find them wind horse <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh man. So it was 2015, incredibly short harvest. Um, everybody's, you know, scraping for fruit, um, cause tonnages are just coming in so light. So I called this, um, cool old farmer I know named, uh, Carmine Indendoli who planted the Walker station vineyard. And Carmine is this old school, um, kind of one man show of a farmer and his niche for a long time was farming these really tiny vineyards that are kind of too big to be a hobby, but too small to go out and kind of find traditional vineyard Mm -hmm. management. So Carmine had this family of, you know, these little kind of gem vineyards, um, hidden out there. And so I called Carmine, I was like, Carmine, I'm desperate for Pinot Noir. You know, the kind of wines that I like, the neck of the woods that I work in, you know, of anybody who's available. And he put me in touch, um, um, with this gal, Kathy Sparling, um, who's, she's got a pretty big ranch. It's mostly horses. She boards horses there. She's got big diversified gardens. And then she has this little like half acre vineyard that she inherited from the previous owner. Wow. I think it was originally planted by like a JC instructor in like the late seventies. So it's got this old martini clone in it. It's interplanted with like, um, Gewürztrum, we think it's Gewürztraminer. There's think. like random white grapes in there that we don't sort out. We just chuck it in there. And then they interplanted the rows because the rows are on big 10 or 12 foot spacings with 115. So it's just this like hodgepodge field blend wow. vineyard. And I always get like a barrel or two. So it's kind of And I always worth. love it. Yeah, but it's always a great wine. We, I would love it if it yielded a little bit more and we can make an individual wine. But Sounds like a Rich Thomas. River. Rich Thomas was an instructor at the JC. Yeah. And- um, he was a Pinot fan and yeah, and it sounds like something he would do. And the martini clone, you know, that's the clone that is supposedly the, all that lane clone. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it looks like no other Pinot clones, right? Yeah. The colors a lot darker on it than any other, most other clones and whatnot. And bigger clusters, bigger, clusters, bigger berries. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on out there. Yeah. So yeah. you, so you needed that fruit in 15 and then after that you just kind of continued to work with them or are you still totally? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was just a great fit and it's, it's a super small amount of fruit. They're wonderful people, easy to work with. A guy I went to high school with now farms it kind of nice. on this, like not quite a hobby, but not quite a professional basis. So it just right. has been really easy to plug into our program. Um, so we've held on to that, but we, again, you're talking about a barrel or two a year. So it's this kind of blip on the radar. So the Russian river is really made up of Kanzler Walker station. And then, um, the other vineyard that we purchase fruit from is Mayfee, which we do the, the vineyard designate. And what does that mean? Mayfee? Uh, I believe it's, it's my, my daughters, my daughters, in my French. daughters, yeah. my okay. daughters in French. So David Gensler, the owner of that vineyard just up the road from us, he has three daughters and I resonate with that a lot because I had a single dad who raised me and my two sisters. Oh, wow. And so I gave a bottle of this Mayfee to my dad for father's day and he loved it. So people will call me up. Hey, do you have any of that mess Phyllis? Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to look at the map again right here, so here's Kanzler Estate again, uh, and Mayfee is right here. So it's only about two miles by the Crow. Okay. Uh, but Kanzler here, we kind of have this smaller east-facing slope at the bottom of this little valley, at the bottom of this hill, and we're kind of kind of protected little microclimate here. Mayfee is a couple hundred feet higher, and it's on a, the crown of this hill. So really, really exposed, much cooler, directly in the path of the wind, um, especially these Western facing blocks right here, are right in the wind tunnel coming out of the gap. Right. Um, so really neat kind of exposed sort of raw site. Um, you can see as we zoom in here, it's kind of got 360 yeah. degree exposure. Yeah. I All need these this. blocks ripen really differently. And, and how much they, how much of this vineyard do you guys get? Oh, only maybe 20% or so. Just a small amount. Yeah. Yeah. 
We There's, made, oh gosh, how much did we make of this Mayfi this year? Only a hundred cases. hundred cases. We okay. developed it because we started a wine club. It was a case in the spring and a case in the fall. And the spring case was 12 bottles of Russian River Valley because we only made three Pinot Noirs. And so in the you know fall, it was six bottles of the Walker Station and six bottles of the State Reserve Pinot. Um, so I said, you know, we got to make another vineyard designate to round out the spring shipment. Yeah. So Alex was like, well, I definitely want to make a Mayfi Pinot Noir vineyard designate. So let's do it. Yeah. It took a couple years in there. We were, we started in there in 14 and we blended the 14 and 15 vintages. You know, you got to gain a familiarity with the vineyard, you know, see how it performs, kind of what it likes and doesn't like, um, experimenting with cooperages, fermentation temps, whole cluster inclusion, et cetera. Um, and then after two years, I was confident in that third year that we could start putting something together. Um, yeah, I always talk about how, you know, we only get one chance a year to flesh out what you want to do with a block of wine. And, um, it takes a few years to figure it out to, you know, get where you actually end up. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, yeah. So my God, that's good. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, the, the Russian river is delicious. Um, but th- this is a, it definitely, you can see why it's vineyard doesn't, it has more density and more intensity. Yeah. Um, and the, aro- the aromatics on incredible they're just incredible this is very much i mean it is russian river valley and we label it as such but this is kind of a coastal wine to me like it tastes kind of like rugged it's got a huge spice character to it you kind of taste like almost the the density of the skins like you can tell that it's grown in some wind and some fog up on a hill and pretty depleted soils like it just has that kind of feral character to it the russian river valley is our crowd pleaser the one that we serve at restaurants really our calling card the one that's going to go with any dish you sit at a table and somebody orders fish, somebody orders pork, somebody orders chicken, and you know you can drink this Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. Whereas the Mayfi, that vineyard designate, it's just a little bit more intriguing by itself. It's almost, right. to me, a dessert wine. <laughs> like, it's just Well, so, it's its own food group. I, it is. I, yeah, That's would, a great point. <laughs> I would want it separated out. I'm going to have that before we even start on food. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to mess with the flavors on that wine. Here's your Mayfi amuse-bouche. <laughs> exactly right. Right? What a great way to start. <laughs> And when did you guys get into making Chardonnay? Because it's not uh, grown on the property. Correct. So that Walker Station uh, vineyard that we lease and farm has one acre of Chardonnay on it. And so we keep that for ourselves. And we started making that Chardonnay. uh, Well, our first vintage was in 2013, which was half that Walker Station and half uh, Lolita Ranch, which is actually a Martinelli vineyard. Mm. And then in 2014, we decided to vineyard designate the Chardonnay and make it 100% Walker Station. Okay. Uh, 15 was our first Walker, wasn't it? Yeah, 14 was Russian River. You guys can... Domestic dispute. (laughs) You can work that out in the (laughs) The podcast listeners will buy you one of them. (laughs) But it's always nice to have, you know, and... A lot of people don't think about this when they start um, a label, but it's nice when you do a um, um, a dinner, a winemaker dinner, to have a little variety Absolutely. going on. Now, have you ever played around with rosé? We have a rosé. Okay, so that's we are what com- I thought, but yes. I didn't see it out, and so I wasn't so sure. So the okay. year after we, I think it was two years after we produced the Chardonnay, we started to learn that it is really nice to have this you know, different varietal. Yeah. Good progression. Something that we can play around with, with winemaker dinners and, you know, events and things like that. Uh, so it was, what was it? 2016. Oh, don't ask him. Just say it. 
It was 2016, yeah. I think it was, that Matt, yeah, I know, that uh, Matt Duffy of Von Duffy Wines asked if we had any, you know, what are you guys doing with your Pinot Noir bleeds? Because we historically had always done Saunier for our Pinot Noir to better concentrate the flavors, bleed off some of that. I should be letting the winemaker talk about this process. <laughs> you're, I think well, you're doing great. <laughs> you're giving away winemaker tricks. Yeah, I know. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, then you decided that yeah. maybe you'd start making your own rosé. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, we, I made it for a colleague of mine who had a fast-growing rosé program and was looking for a little bit extra to kind of flesh out his very successful label. So I kind of made some for um, an old colleague of mine and sold it off. And then we, we like, hand-bottled, what, 10 cases? We did, yes. They were all shiners. We sent them out to friends and family. We're like, what do you guys think of yeah, this? Yeah, even, like, a, maybe we sent it to a distributor or two. Yeah. Kind of, like, testing the waters. And this was before rosé, like, really blew up. Um, so everybody liked it and we're like, yeah, it'd be great to kind of hold on to a little bit and kind of create the, the skew. So we did that, yeah. but we make a really small amount where we do like 70 cases last year. Yes. It's just we'll for, make about a hundred cases in yeah. 2019. It's just for DTC dinners, yeah. um, hospitality, stuff right. like that. Um, we don't want to fight the, the rosé wall that you see at like every wine retailer now, um, yeah. which is great. I mean, you can a bottle barn. It's an entire Island it's of rosé. It's insane. Yeah, but people are really starting to refine it and it's really delicious and we were just in Provence in May so uh, it's kind of fun to play around with it yeah. but, and it's rosé of Pinot Noir right it comes directly from this estate vineyard so it fits our mold right in a yeah. kind of elegant uh, yeah. rosé yeah it's very dry very crisp it's yeah not, super dry yeah. moderate alcohol crazy low pH yeah, um, yeah just fun and bright and Danny calls it the porch pounder yeah <laughs> we'll keep referencing Danny here yeah <laughs> Yeah. Or the pool pounder if you're staying at the farm stay. Yeah, so we rent out this house on the vineyard here, and people love that rosé by the pool. Well, so we should talk about that. So we're here at the house that, you, Alex, you grew up in. Mm-hmm. It's now um, completely uh, for the winery. Yes. Um, so you do tastings here. Um, but then you have what you call the farm stay, and maybe you might want to talk a little bit about that. Oh, and let's let's just mention Kanzler.com, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... K-A-N-Z as in zebra, L-E-R. And are there pictures of the house on the uh, Absolutely. website? Absolutely. Okay, we have a stay cool. tab on our website, and four bed, five bath, pool, hot tub, fire pit. People are loving coming out here and just being directly in the middle of the vineyard that their favorite wine comes from. So we, you know, offer... a offer it to our wine club members. We offer it to people on Airbnb even to come and find our winery. Um, so it's, it works out really well and people are really loving it. Yeah. With the caveat, I guess you should say that it is a working farm and like that is hundred percent part of the, um, experience. We call it a farm stay. It is a farm stay. Um, you get to see what's going on in the vineyard. You get to see what the crew's up to if the crew's on site. Uh, but then you also, you know, your stay here comes with a tasting with Brianna so she can present all the wines to you, go out in the vineyard, um, do a couple demo vines, depending on what cultural practices we're doing in the year. So trying to tie people to the vineyard a little bit more. I mean, the tasting rooms do such a good job talking about, um, the wine making end of things um, we're trying to highlight the the vineyard and grape growing into things a little bit well, more. well and and that goes along with this whole idea of tasters now want experiences i mm-hmm. i just saw something on facebook um our friends at uh, beltane ranch are working with the people at bohemian highway travel company and what they're doing for their guests is right now they're going out in the atv out in the vineyard and they're picking some sauvignon blanc Oh, yeah. And then they're bringing it back to the um, house 
and they have a little basket press, a hydraulic water <laughs> hydro, a basket yeah. press about this big. That's awesome. And they're pressing the Sauvignon Blanc, and then the people are taking home a bottle or two with them. That's amazing. Um, this like, homemade blend. Yeah. Like very well, juice? no, no. Yeah. It's very, well, it's just juice. I mean, yeah. it's it's obviously not ripe yet. But, you know, to be able to take it and taste it and tell your friends about it, totally. you know. I'm always afraid of the people that, like, leave it in the back of their car, though, and it starts to ferment. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, but, That'd be nasty. Um, <laughs> blow a cork out but, on you. But, <laughs> I mean, but it's a great experience, right, to, you know, see that happen. And so that's good for you guys for doing that. Well, for me, there's nothing like drinking the wine in the vineyard that the grapes are grown. Exactly. I mean, it just ties everything together and it, it it's a unforgettable memory and experience that you create when that happens. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we put the picture of our vineyard on the bottle for a reason. I want people, especially the people that have been out here and drank our wine on this estate vineyard to be like, Oh, I was right down there with Brianna and Alex, we right. were drinking cans or wine on the cans or vineyard. Yeah. I can, maybe I should Photoshop a customer of the month onto the bottle or something well, like you that. Know, you know, you should do is you should put Danny somewhere on the label. <laughs> we hear about Danny, but we really don't know what he does. Wait, wait, um, they're trying to sell one. <laughs> we love you, Danny. <laughs> but I think you guys have a beautiful little gazebo with that beautiful wood table out there and chairs, but it's as simple as sometimes a, a folding chair and a folding table of just taking people out in the vineyard, plopping down a, a folding table, yeah. putting it and setting out a little bag lunch and just that memory just lasts forever of, the, of those wines. You And then you want to tell that story to your friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's been a, a, a lot that has happened to lead us to where we are now. I mean, when Alex and I used to live here before we rented it out, that was all weeds. I mean, we put up uh, that little gazebo mm-hmm. and that table out there was my first power tools project. I wow. brought that I <laughs> Nicely heritage done. salvage in Petaluma. I got yeah. this old piece of cypress cedar. Didn't tell Alex I was bringing it home. Pulled up in the trailer with this giant piece of wood. His mom helped me pick out and <laughs> I was like, okay, well, we're sanding this down. We're going to put some tongue oil on it. We're going to slap it on some barrels. We're going to taste some wine. <laughs> Shout out to Heritage Salvage. God, what is the name of that guy? Bug? Bug? Oh, gosh, I forget. <laughs> Bu- yeah, Bug. Bug, okay, yeah. He's... I think that's right. He did the um, he did the patio at the Girl in the Fig. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, it's very nice. All yeah. right, so you guys want to move on to the next wine? Yeah, let's move uh, on to the next wine. wine. So put a little dump bucket here. So we are going to move on to our current releases. So we release our wine in the spring and the fall through an allocation at Kanzler.com. You can go sign up for our mailing list. Here, why don't you keep talking? I'll pour. And uh, perfect. I like that. Uh, <laughs> and so um, everything's done on as a release as opposed to a wine club, or do you have a wine club also? We also have a wine club. So we do have a mailing list. Um, we open up spots to our wine club on occasion. Uh, so I just opened up 20 more spots that I'm about to fill. Um, and our wine club is a big commitment. It's a case in the spring and a case in the fall so you're drinking two bottles of cans or a month and you're keeping up so what we're drinking now on your left is going to be the walker station so that's from that two acres that we lease and farm there on the border of green valley within the russian river and then on the right is going to be your estate reserve so this is really our baby we don't have kids but if we did, we'd like this wine better than our children. So <laughs> this estate reserve is 100% from this estate vineyard. And um, it's our highest price point wine at $78. Uh, and we'll be which, really- which, can I just say for 
California Pinot from this area is is not a high price point. Thank you. Yes, yeah. we're very proud of our price points. Yeah. Um, 78 is our highest price point. Our Russian River Valley and really our signature wine is $60. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the, the range. Um, the Rosé, 32, and the Chardonnay, 56. Right. So uh, these are the two wines that we're going to be releasing on September 10th. So if you get onto our mailing list before September 10th, you'll have the ability to uh, acquire an allocation. Oh. So you guys are going to taste some significant differences in these wines. Um, Walker Station, that two acres is much different than our estate reserve here at the 15 acres. Um, we've got clones 667, 115, and Pomard on the estate vineyard. And then Walker Station, I'll let Alex talk a little bit about the differences and in the two. Just real quick, can you talk about the how many cases of each of these that you make? Sure. Yeah, there's what, 160 or so of Walker Station yeah. and 300 of estate? Exactly. Yeah. We pull a decent amount of fruit off the estate because we're, you know, it's anchoring the Russian River program, and then the estate is a barrel select program. So there's no kind of estate block on the vineyard. There's nothing that we're farming differently or highlighting from that standpoint. We farm everything to our highest ability. I make the wine to the highest ability, and then we just kind of see what barrels end up being the standouts. Um, same thing with the Walker Station because you know we're using a portion of that for the blend as well. So same thing, we're trying to make the best pick calls, do the best farming that we can, and then we'll just see what barrels evolve into the vineyard designate. Right. Um, clonal wise, though, um, Walker Station is Calera clone in the driver's seat, and then accented by a little bit of one fifteen. Um, and I do find these wines to be to be quite different. And if we're gonna, and also different and independent from the Mayfee, also it's really important to me that if we're gonna create the multiple SKUs on a vineyard designate level, that they have their own personalities. Right, for sure. Um, there's no reason to make six different wines if they all kind of taste the same. Right. You know, you might as well just blend it. Um, but to me, the the Walker Station is pretty classic Russian River Valley. You know, big perfumey aromatics, really right. red fruit driven, with yeah. kind of spice accents around the edges. Mouth filling, um, really, yeah. yeah, kind of that classic, you know, velvety Russian River texture. Uh, the Estate Reserve, being from down here, is a little bit more akin to the Mayfee, a little bit um, darker, more of a spice character, kind of more of a coastal influence. Higher proportion of whole cluster in the, the Estate color. Reserve, yeah. um, a little bit higher pH in the Estate Reserve, more tan. Um, with the whole definitely. cluster and yeah. um, new oak influence on it. So, made to age. Made to age. Definitely made to age, yeah. Right. And if you taste the estate versus the Russian River, there's usually an inflection point at around year four, year five, where people kind of will gravitate towards the Russian River, um, which is a little bit, you know, it's it's open earlier, it's friendlier, it's a little bit juicier and um, more approachable at the beginning. And then around age four or five, the estate reserve really starts to shine just kind of as the Russian river's tapering off yeah. a little bit right. and everybody gravitates towards yeah. that line. So now let's talk about uh, if we can go back a little bit. So at first you're selling some of the fruit to landmark and to Costa Brown and then, and then when do you sort of, um, say, Hey, you know what? I'd, I'd like to get in and make oh, the Oh man, wine. we've had to have a couple of those conversations. It's always an easy about conversation like to have though, right? Like if you're, for lack of a better term, kicking somebody out of the vineyard to hold back a little bit more of that fruit for yourself. I mean, that's an easy conversation to have. Anybody would do the same thing, right? Yeah. So people, people are, are really understanding. Supportive and we've had to part ways with clients or even just kind of 
pick off some rows and say, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't sell you this fruit. I got to keep it to, to grow our own brand. Um, people have been, I mean, wine industry in general is kind of a rising tides lifts all boats thing. So there's definitely a, it's a more understanding conversation. Yeah. I think it's a natural progression, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if, and, and, and you should be uh, the wine winery going away should actually be proud of it because you're obviously doing a good job with, I mean, if, if they weren't doing a good job, you would be taking it away for another reason. Right. right? I mean, if they weren't a good, a good customer, um, but you know, they've done a good job with it. You've been impressed with the wine. That's the part that you want to make your own wine with. I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just the way it goes. But I think the root of the question is, you know, they, my folks and Greg started making wine in 2004 and it was, it was a side job for everybody. You know, it was, it was a project. Um, and it wasn't really until, I mean, I got involved in the, I got into the industry in 2008. Um, I took over the family winemaking in 2011 and then it was a side job for me all the way up until just before harvest 2014. You know, I was working in other cellars my entire career up and until. Could you talk about some of those places so we know kind of where you got some of sure, your. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, my winemaking journey started in Sonoma Valley, like a lot of winemaking journeys, right? So that was landmark vineyards. Well, um, go back even further. Oh, uh, well, Eric, I was on Eric's a- crew when I was 16, <laughs> learning just enough Spanish to be dangerous. And, uh, I, all the cuss words. Yeah. Well, and I kind of crashed my dad's car and they wouldn't let me drive again until I paid the insurance deductible. And I think minimum wage at the time was six seventy five an hour, but wow. the crews at that time were making, you know, between nine and maybe 11 bucks an hour, depending on what we were doing. So Eric employed me for a summer, um, cause I had to, you know, you're 16 years old. I think the insurance deductible was like two grand. It's a yeah. lot of money when yeah. you're 16. Um, so yeah, that was the real start, but I worked at landmark. Um, I went over to central Otago, New Zealand, mm. um, worked at, uh, Carrick. Uh, then I went up to Willamette Valley, Oregon, worked at domain serene following the Pinot trail. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and then I came back down and, uh, did an internship at Costa Brown in 2010 there we're still with them. And that kind of springboarded me to my first sort of year round seller job. Um, I was over at, uh, Vinify wine services and helping make a wine called gem Rose, which was a Bennett Valley sure, Syrah right. project. Sure. So I worked with, uh, Jim Mack and, uh, Russell Bevan for about a year and a half. Yep. So, so, I mean, adventure. It's, right. And I always <laughs> love hearing mentors. this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. And you know, um, you are who you've worked with to some extent because you pick up ideas and thought processes Uh-oh, all along with Danny. the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, that wasn't even for me. <laughs> um, but you do, you learn those things along the way and then you form your own style, um, from that. And so it's nice to hear those places that where you worked. Yeah. Um, hundred. Well, and just to kind of tie it off. So my last kind of full-time job, I was, um, the associate winemaker for VML and Truett Hurst and worked with Ginny Lambricks for about two and a half years and just learned a ton of stuff from Ginny. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and, but yeah, then, and actually to Bree's point about having good conversations when I resigned from VML, I was like, you know, I'm going to focus on the family. And it was that same thing that, you know, you're not leaving your job for another job. You're leaving a job to invest in yourself. And they're like, well, shoot, you know, we're going to miss you, but congrats and you know, good luck. And even let us make the wine, let us make the wine there that harvest quite a bit longer. And now we make our wine at cross barn. So 
Which is a Paul Hobbs uh, um, project as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But how does that work with your parents? Okay, you say, I'm going to start making the wine. How does, uh, now, if this is too personal, you can say it. That's totally oh, fine. Oh, we get personal here. How, does, <laughs> how do these negotiations start as far as, okay, I'm going to make this my full-time job. How, how are we going to divide the finances? Yeah, you know, I just cut their paycheck and put it in my own pocket, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're retired. They're fine. <laughs> No, I mean, it was pretty strategic. We had never had, um, we were totally self-financed um, all the way up through me being, you know, kind of a part-time employee. And, you know, we grew the label, you know, slowly from, I mean, when I took over in 2011, the 2010 vintage in barrel, we had like 12 barrels of wine, you know, we right around 300 cases mm-hmm. and started taking bigger bites. Um, and I was, you know, making side job, you know, gig money. Um, and so I was getting a little bit of money from the family, but still had my primary salary job on the right. side. And as we grew the label, it was, you know, there was that kind of fork in the road. It was like, we either need to shrink down and this is continue to be right. a side project so I can continue to do, you know, my work, my primary work, or we need to grow a little bit and, you know, get Take some leap. support. Yeah. And make yeah. the leap and do this full time. This so, was a conversation that was had at his mom's kitchen table. We were all yeah. sitting at dinner and we were trying to decide, okay what are the next steps? Yeah, yeah. So we did, you know, what a lot of kind of growing businesses need to do and you go to the bank, um, mm-hmm. and you know, get a line of credit going with a really supportive, um, financier that we still work with. Not a financier. We don't have like private equity or anything besides the family. Um, but we work with Silicon Valley bank and they set us up with a line of credit and allowed us to, to grow. And, you know, that brought me on full time, um, allowed us to, um, get the lease on Walker station, you know, put some upfront money for the lease and then, you know, a yearly retainer on that and kind of, kind of get that ball rolling. And then Danny was our first full-time employee, even before Brianna came on board full-time. Um, and Danny, yeah, brought, I had to make us some money. I was working for tech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The household, Brianna and I's personal household budget used to be a lot stronger, really. <laughs> no, we joke though, that we're going to be, um, we're going to be one of the first, if not only couple to just, you know, get filthy rich in the wine industry so we can start a family boutique hands-on technology firm. <laughs> you know what? I'd, I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching that. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's a great plan. Um, but no, we, you, we brought Danny on and Danny really filled that role of kind of hardcore business that we were lacking. Like we, none of us had a financial background and kind of a business nuts and bolts background. Um, and that's, you know, that business intelligence and strategic thinking and, and financial dollars and cents type of skill set and intelligence is what Danny brought to the company. Um, as well as, you know, a lot of assistance in marketing sales, strategic thinking, um, launching the wine club, um, mentoring Brianna, especially early on, you know, she made that, that jump from tech, um, to wine, which is quite different and even working from, she worked for some of the biggest companies in the world and now there's five <laughs> And of now us. I work for the smallest company yeah. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what allowed us to do that. And that's so awesome. then what percentage of the wine is going out to wine club members? What percentage is, you know, it's a DTC wine club yeah. and, and out there in the, in retail. So there's always that perfect balance, right? Of distribution versus direct to consumer. And we're, we're doing really well with the percentage that we do direct to consumer. That's our primary focus. Um, we only distribute to about eight States and we only do select, you know, restaurants and bottle shops and things like that. We're very strategic about where we place our wine. We want it to be well represented and 
uphold its integrity. Uh, so primarily direct to consumer and uh, people. And with certain SKUs, like the estate reserve and the Walker station, your glass is basically 100% DTC. Right. There may be a case or two of estate out in the world no, now. No. I, I mean, uh, when the French Laundry asks you for a magnum for of estate yeah. reserve, you say yes. Right, right. <laughs> oh, and do you have a magnum program? We do. So, okay. yep. Just with the penis. I hand label every single one. I hand wax dip every yeah. single one. So yeah. we make about, you know, 10 cases of magnums per skew. Uh, no, only the estate reserve in the Russian River Valley. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah. Russian River Valley is the wine that if people are out in those marketplaces you're in, that's the one they would see. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%, yeah. yeah. We and distributed a touch of Chardonnay, but like I'd say 95% of our distribution yeah. is the Russian River Valley. Mm-hmm. That That's the business card. That's right. getting our name out into the world. Yeah. And then yeah. all the other SKUs are uh, very, very, very DTC heavy. Yeah. Like Okay. And the Chardonnay, I should say that we we tried the Chardonnay before we, we came on the show and it is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. No, I... I'm, I used to be, you know, the the wine director at the Girl in the Fig, so I drank a lot of Marsan Roussan and Grenache Blanc, and, mm-hmm. and just in the last couple of years, been drinking a lot of Chardonnay. I was telling you that Bob Cabral, mm-hmm. um, who you spoke with this morning, is uh, I, he has one of my favorite Chardonnays. But I love the balance on that Chard; uh, yeah. it's amazing, and the, the color is beautiful, and the acidity is beautiful, um, and that's only available to. Your wine club members, primarily wine club members, and we release a little bit during our allocation if we have some leftover. Okay. Yeah. All right. And that retails for what? 56. Vineyard designate. Yeah. Speaking of shirts, so yeah, I ran into Bob this morning and um, three sticks, is their first day of harvest was today. And they were bringing in some young vine shirt wow. from somewhere on Sonoma Mountain. They were yeah. firing it up their press this morning. I popped over there just for context. Um, Kansler Vineyards did a, a joint auction lot for Sonoma County barrel auction this year with um, three sticks and with McRosty. It was a, I forget the name, it was like, up and coming winemakers, young guns. Uh, was it, but it was like it was young winemakers established vineyards. So you know, I'm still on the younger side, I guess. Kansler um, <laughs> Vineyards being kind of established, and then it was uh, Heidi at McRosty using Olivet Lane, mm-hmm. and then Ryan at Three Sticks using Durrell. Um, so right. we blended all those together. So I was dropping our portion of the auction lot today for for final blend and bottle, and uh, that'll go out to the the winning bidder early next year. That's cool. That's a neat event. Wait, so someone already someone already bid on it and got it? Yeah, so the auction was when they all went together. May, wasn't it? it was May, yeah, right around early. May 1. Yeah. yeah, but what they do is they have a, a tasting at several places through the county, I think, mm-hmm. um, and they have uh, samples of it, and you can go through and taste it, and then they have an actual auction, and it's still an online auction and a live auction. Is that right? I know one year There's it was. There's proxy bidders, so oh, that's what if people want to bid remotely, they can do it, but they have to be on the phone with like a staff person on the ground, because um, it mm-hmm. is a live auction. And, yeah, it's, we, and it's primarily for or restaurants, right? Because it is it's all trade. Yeah, yeah it's all it, trade. Yeah. So the, the the Sante could go and buy a barrel of wine or a half a barrel of wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would be a special bottling that only you guys would have there. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So Sante has our 2011, which is what we're going to be trying next here. I'm excited because, yeah, <laughs> I stare at that bottle. And, and I was saying earlier that we have over 600 bottles on the list. So it's, it's almost impossible unless you've been there for 20 years and cultivated the list to actually have tried all of the wines on the list. And it's not just feasible to start opening up a bottle every day and, and start <laughs> trying them. So I've been looking at this bottle for the past year 
and was curious about it. And then when I told you we had it today, you were like, oh, <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, it works out perfectly. This 2011 has come up a lot lately just because 2011 was Alex's first full vintage making our wine and taking over the family winemaking. And so we nice recently to cut your teeth on Alex. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm going to pull up a quote right now. I love it. Oh yeah. Pull up that quote. So while Alex is pulling up this amazing quote about the 2011 vintage as a growing season, uh, we hosted this dinner and it, we called it the nightmare before harvest loosely based on the nightmare before Christmas, right. the movie theme and everything. And, uh, so we did this nightmare dinner. We, we told everybody the attire was coastal Gothic. You know, we, we only sold 50 tickets. We cut it off after that because we didn't want it to be too big and the idea behind it was just telling people you know we're not doing a harvest dinner so many people do a a harvest dinner to celebrate the bounty of the fruit right well we're going to do a nightmare before harvest dinner we want you guys to know all the challenges that are involved in harvest because so many people call us up I mean we have four people in the office you know day in and day out and then we have my mother-in-law who helps a lot um as well. But I mean, for a small family team, there is so many things that go into not only making the wine, but obviously selling the wine. Um, so we did some fun stories around the nightmares before harvest. And, you know, one of them was running out of bins in the middle of the night, right? We do night picks. You want to get that fruit in cold. Uh, one of them was Alex and I hosted harvest interns when we were saving up for our honeymoon. And we had this man child who would just stomp around (laughs) day in, day out, stomp around. He had this giant plates of pasta all the time. He was, it was insane. This kid, (laughs) he took a semester off. He was a lacrosse player at Virginia Tech. I hope he family has. I hope he does too. (laughs) Shout out Jackson. Um, His family had a vineyard in southern New Jersey. Southern New Jersey. He took a semester off from Virginia Tech to come work harvest out here, and he was a man-child. Great worker, (laughs) sweetest kid in the world, but yeah, you always knew when he got home because it was just like... Slamming doors. Here he comes in with a six-pack of Bud Heavy. He sits down. He watches three hours of hockey. Yeah. Three hours of hockey. It was Coors Banquet Beer. Oh, it was was, Coors Banquet Beer. You're right. (laughs) Coors Banquet. Super classy. Uh, Come in, watch three hours of hockey, go to sleep, wake up at, you know, 5 a.m., go do his harvest shift, come back home, do the same thing all over again. He was 20 years old. So. Yeah, right. 20, 20, 21. 21. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, I, exactly 21. Um, I, there's so many um, intern stories in the business. I just, they're, they're such an important part of the whole thing. And it's all the great jokes and stories are about heart or about interns. We have an intern living with us right now. She's Alex's cousin. She's in from North Carolina. Yeah. She's turning 24. Five next like week, next week yeah. and she's out here just experiencing something like she's never experienced before. And she had no, I don't think she, you know, had any idea what went into the process prior to. I warned her a lot. <laughs> warned, that prepared. Was, yeah, ninety percent janitorial. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your, what's your what's your quote? Forty nine percent cleaning shit, forty nine percent moving heavy shit around, and two percent drinking beer. <laughs> That's what exactly it's wine right. Wine making, folks. Um, I just want, I finally found this quote on tw- the twenty eleven vintage. This is just Wine Spectator off their vintage chart, and is a uh, rain wreaked havoc at harvest, resulting in lighter wines of uneven quality. <laughs> first, first vintage at the helm. Yeah, and I mean, and that no doubt that was a great. Um, 
that's a great description of 2011. I mean, there were a lot of good wines that came out of 2011 that got overlooked um, because of comments like that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and we highlight it now because in the long run, it's turned out to be such a solid wine. This wine was re- and, and, well and, received on release, but yeah. it's only gotten better. And, and you know what? And we've heard that from a number of winemakers in the past year. Uh, it seems like we've been talking about this on our podcast. And yeah. Um, yeah. These 17s are still tight, even decanted. Yeah, we decanted these for a bit. They're a little tight. They'll open up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean they're delicious, but I mean they're only 2017 though. I mean right. they're right. still um, just babies, but both of them are delicious. I think I lean towards the reserve um, at this point right now. Yeah, it's that's our favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> well, and are we, are we going to try the 2011? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's open it up. Um, so let's <laughs> let's dump our currents and let's go back in time while I spill it yes. on the table. Yes. So Alex, why don't I pour and you can talk about your first ever full vintage of Kanzler. I mean, I was still, gosh, yeah, I was still, I was working for, um, no, I want to hear about the morning when it starts raining and you start flipping out. Oh my gosh. My favorite. (laughs) So this wasn't, um, this wasn't our vineyard manager. This wasn't Eric, but there was a great 2011 quote. I was in custom crush, which is just great for a talking shop and meeting people and hearing stories and comparing notes. Um, but there was a quote of like, an uh, old colleague of mine asked his vineyard manager to meet him at a vineyard to look at something. And the response was something to the extent of like, well, yeah, I'll meet you out there. But if it's to look at more Chardonnay that has botrytis, I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. <laughs> Chardonnay was like melting off the vine um, with the rains in 2011. Um, Pinot was not doing a heck of a lot better because, I mean, it was wet and it was a late harvest to begin with. So right. it was just a cool late harvest. And then instead of getting kind of, you know, some heat waves at the end to sort of push us through, we got rain instead. Wow. Um, Wait, but, so how nerve wracking is that? This is like, you're responsible for this, right? And so you're thinking this is going to be a shit show. Yeah. I mean, had you had anything picked before the rain? I think we picked one block of the old vine six, six, seven, um, and hedged it a little bit, but no, especially at this site, we hung through the rain, yeah. um, and you know, fought the botrytis and, you know, cleaned it up in the vineyard to the greatest extent we could spent a lot of time on the sorting line. Um, once the wines made it in, you know, there's winemaking steps that you can take to sort of minimize your exposure, um, to fruit that came in damaged or anything like that. But in the long run, you know, the wines ended up with great phenolic ripeness, um, pretty solid chemistry. Um, so there wasn't a lot of manipulation that we had to do or anything. And they were maybe a little bit less approachable young, but in the long run, they evolved into these just very balanced, very pleasing and very, very layered wines. You know, they came with a lot that came out of the background. Um, and some Pinot Noirs in the new world tend to be really just like, they peak early and they can yeah. be very obvious and sort of right out of the bottle current release is almost like the peak and then they tailor off pretty quickly there. Right. And this had more of, you know, what I would consider a traditional and in and, and many ways um, desirable aging curve where, you know, it's going to take a while to come around, but then it's going to peak and have a nice long plateau of yumminess and then have a very gradual come down. You know, that's kind of the aging curve that I want to see is that long plateau and a very gradual come down. Yeah. That is a beautiful wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so Pinot. <clears throat> oh, Brian, <laughs> you'll be selling a few bottles of this, I can tell. For, for what we're selling now that, it I mean, for? now that you've tasted it, I can just yeah, see Yeah, I it. can't believe your price point on that. That's good. Well, and I wonder how many bottles we do have left. I don't imagine we bought more than a case. 
not. Probably yeah. not. You probably read the reviews on the <laughs> you're on the vintage here. We probably got it for a pretty good price <laughs> after the reviews. Lighter wines of uneven quality. <laughs> Reeked havoc. Reeked havoc. I mean, I, but but here's a great example of what I just said is that there were outliers, you know, or there were a lot of wines that got overlooked. And I mean, this is not a, this is a beautiful wine, you know, and the fact that it's um, 2011, you know, just that it has the age and that it is that year, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you should be very proud of it. Yeah. Very proud. Love highlighting this wine. It's, it's one of my favorite wines to drink because it still has great drinkability and it, it just presses all those Pinot buttons. Like it's got a fruit and berry characteristic to it. It's got an earth characteristic to it. It's got a spice characteristic to it. It's got the right texture. It's a yummy food wine. It's, you know, moderate in alcohol. It's got just great drinkability and balance to it. Um, 2011, everything was moderate in alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I mean, I mean that in a positive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we held some of this back. So we have it to taste today. Yeah. Why do you have this? You know, we try and keep back at least five to 15 cases of every vintage just so we have it for verticals and things like that. So That's we good. just have a bit of this, you know, sitting around. We we had just pulled some for the Nightmare Before Harvest dinner. So, okay. Yeah, we yeah. did serve Because we had to talk about the yeah. Nightmare Before Harvest, right. of yeah. course. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's delicious. Mm. All right. So w- 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 let's talk about the future for you guys. I mean... Um, the plan is to just stay here and um, um, continue to make incredible wines and maybe find a couple other vineyards to play around with. Now we're going to sell it all. We're going to go to Snake River Valley, Idaho. We're going to start growing Tempranillo. <laughs> Do not listen to him. Wait a minute. <laughs> that sounds like this to was him. a topic of conversation. <laughs> Do not listen to him. No, I think, you know, people always ask us how big we're going to get, right? And I mean, for us, our primary focus is maintaining the estate vineyard mm. in this Russian River Valley. We want to over-deliver as an Appalachian wine. We want to keep that rooted in this vineyard. Um, we still sell some of the fruit off this vineyard. Um, so we still have some wiggle room to grow in the future. Uh, we hope to have somewhat of a small by appointment only hospitality experience where we can not only host people here at the vacation rental on the vineyard, but also build out a small little tasting room. And um, that is very, very, very much in the works. Um, people from around here in the state of California know what it takes to kind of get the, the permitting um, to do something out in the country um, that has any type of commercial aspect to it. So we've been working <laughs> diligently and for a long time to 20 months we've been in the permitting process. Yeah. Is there anyone else in this area that, that has that, that has a little tasting house that's by appointment only? There's a few. So literai is okay. five minute drive from here. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literai is right up the road and they do by appointment. They have a winery on site um, and they have, the property's not huge, but it's more diversified because it's. I think it's a twenty-acre property, but they only have about three acres planted. Yeah. Um, so they have animals on site. They have wow. a greenhouse on site. Yeah. So I, they're right up the road. He's he's on my list to do a podcast with. He's a fascinating Ted, yeah. Ted's yeah. crazy legend. guy. Yeah. 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 Total legend. Yeah. And then right right up the street um, was the old Twin Hills Apple Ranch, which when I was growing up was the place you go for pumpkins and Christmas trees. And they had like a farm store. You get your like caramel dipped apples and your ciders and stuff like that. And that business went south. 
I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. And the original ranch property has been parceled up and sold. Um, and then a younger guy bought the property, I don't know, six or seven years ago and was able to, after his own permitting challenges, I'm sure tear down the original, I mean, it was a dilapidated metal building falling into the ground, but he was able to take that down and put a winery right up the street. They're not open for operations yet, but that's Twin Hills Ranch, uh, winery. So, um, I guess part of that whole permitting process starts with your neighbors and Mm -hmm. that your neighbors are supportive of it. Have you had, have you had luck with that? Extensive conversations. We had like a, I don't know, seminar, if you want to call it right here in this room where we invited all the neighbors, um, a lot of wine and cheese. This is how you have to do this. Oh Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. No, we're lucky in that my father-in-law, Brianna's dad, um, is a GIS professional. So, um, Trey was able to like create and print out a map of all the parcel numbers and addresses and owners all around our area. So we could reach out to them directly. Thanks dad. Thanks dad. (laughs) Uh, through the mailing addresses and get people in one room. Cause it's, it's always freaky if you get this kind of official looking letter from the county saying you know some person down the road wants to do x y and z it's it's a much more personal touch to say hey we're real people we're not a corporate remote interest trying to commercialize your neighborhood we Um, just want to maintain our family business and keep it sustainable so Um, and it's all about the experiences right so we want to provide a really tight i mean we asked for eight visitors eight visitors a day twice a day handful of events a year yeah. and um a five thousand case yeah. so two appointments yeah. two appointments per day right. at the most yeah right um and, so that's and, our goals for this yeah. property. yeah and you know and the thing about it is it's you should be able to do that because you know it you are a farmer you're actually growing the grapes you're you know you're, yeah. you're making the wine it's it's not just a satellite tasting room Right. Um, and we're not shipping some, in grapes from 100 miles away to process correct, them here. Right. Correct. Yeah. 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 And that, but that would be part of it also is to build a small production facility. In a perfect world, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you have to be very careful about um, the financials and economies of scale on a smaller right. winery. Right. Um, but, you know, you're talking long term goals. Um, but yeah, with that kind of hard cap of 5,000 cases, you know, Kanzler is not designed, nor do we intend to grow it to be a 10 or 20,000 case right. winery with a, you know, massive distribution presence or anything right. like that. Well, well, because when you get over 5,000 cases, you kind of have to commit to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, we've, you've probably heard growing pains of people. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand to 3000 is a good place to be. And then you get up to 5,000 and it gets a lot more, um, it gets a lot more interesting at that point. Yeah, and the way that we grow grapes and make wine too, we're such a small team. And should we, you know, bring on some more resources? And can we in the long run? Sure, but you know, I'm, we're talking one to two people. We're not talking about a team of people. And it's, I think, important for for us and our whole narrative of kind of being farmers first and grape to glass. You know, you can only get so big before you can't wrap our arms around the entire thing. So we have pretty modest goals, and we have a pretty long timeline to get there. You know, we don't have the the Danny's Danny's spreadsheets don't have the hockey stick growth path. Yeah. You know, it's very modest and very <laughs> subtle and not subtle. Everything word, we do is quality over quantity and that's how it's going to stay in the future. So, yeah. so what's harvest looking like for you guys? Well, we're going to get through labor day. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to be officially a harvest widow in about a week. Yeah. I won't have a husband around. He'll leave at 5 a.m. He'll get home at 9 a.m. hungry and then he'll go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll do the nightmare Wait, man, of that laundry. That sounds like an intern. <laughs> 5 a.m. 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. I'm basically an intern. <laughs> no, I think um, 
Walker Station is typically our first pick. Um, Walker Station or Mayfee, um, the Pinot before the Chardonnay. Um, I haven't even started fruit sampling yet. I'll take kind of baseline samples in the next day or two here, and I'm expecting high teens or low 20s right now. Um, as we were discussing earlier, uh, Mother Nature's pumped the brakes a little bit these last few days. I mean, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to get much above 80 here today. And yeah. even those high 70s, 80s are going to be for two or three hours, not for seven or eight. Um, so it's great for phenolic development and, um, you know, a nice even ripening uh, cycle, which is what we want. But it is early. I mean, it's not even September yet. So we have plenty of time for heat waves or rain events or, you know, I'll throw another Steve Kanzler quote out there that one of dads is every year we dance with mother nature and every year she leads. So yeah, we kind of take it how it comes. But as of right now, I'm very, very pleased um, with how this harvest is shaped up. Yeah. Fruit on the vine looks great. Things look really well balanced. Vines are healthy. Nature's cooperating. Um, yields is always a bit of a guessing game. I mean, you can go do your cluster counts and take your weights and look at your bud counts um, and do all your due diligence, but you don't really know how the vintage is shaping up until you get the first pick or two across the scale right. um, and see what things are coming in at. But as of right now, I think we're right average to maybe a kiss above average, um, which coming out of a pretty large 2018 is a, is a happy place to it, be right it now. Is yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we didn't need another huge harvest, but it's always a bummer when you don't get much of anything. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I have the same feelings about harvest in general that, you know, I'm going to go up and see my Chenin Blanc vineyard neck or tomorrow um, which I actually haven't been up to see yet this year and but everything else I've been out to see it seems like it's all about average and I mean across the board d developing really nicely and in different appellations everything looks really good yeah. so no news is good news from a farming standpoint yeah, right yeah. yeah right we did have some challenges earlier and it was a very wet spring and we had God, you guys were here at that that May storm wasn't like May spring sprinkles no. like that was a full-blown winter storm in what like mm. the first week of May yeah. or whatever yeah right when everything was flowering and yeah we had to mow twice which we hardly ever have to do I mean just keeping the native grasses down was tough and simply then, so the crew could get through oh yeah <laughs> right well and then when the vines you know really started coming out of dormancy I mean they were shot out of a cannon you know shoots just growing every which way it was hard to keep everything in the trellis Talked right because yeah as soon as the, it did warm up and they just had all the water and sunlight that they wanted I mean they were just ripping yeah, yeah. there was a lot of stored energy and also from such a cold winter mm -hmm. um, and long winter you know yeah they were ready rearing. to go yeah well, let's let's direct people to your website and where to purchase the wines and the wine club and and also if they want to come stay on the property. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's at Kanzler.com. Again, that's K-A-N-Z-L-E-R. Uh, you'll see my cell phone number all over the website. Seriously. <laughs> family oh, yeah. touch here. Yeah. yeah. You'll talk to a family member anytime you call us. It's primarily me. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but I mean that's the cool thing, right? I mean, we grow the grapes, we make the wine, sell the wine, you talk to us. Um, and I could list off our wine club members, super small, but go to canceler.com, join our mailing list on the join tab. Uh, our wine is going to be released this fall, September 10th. We only do a spring and a fall, which is going to be when this show comes out, it's going to be something like Four three days, days away or yeah. something like that yeah perfect yeah. timing so that's perfect timing give me a call if you guys have any questions really you know if you guys want to come walk around the vineyard with me even uh you know when we don't have guests here staying at the house i love to walk around and show people where we are in the growing season uh, if you guys are coming out with family or friends four bed five bath here on the vineyard and we'd love to have you i'll host a tasting for yeah. you it'll be fun 
Yeah, I highly encourage you, instead of staying in Sonoma or well, instead of staying in Sonoma, come out. You know, my wife and I looked at places out here. Ultimately, we would Sebastopol's love to live out here. Sebastopol's really special. It's amazing. Sebastopol's yeah. getting darn right chic these days with the Barlow, and there's That's, great restaurants. Yeah. There's yeah. obviously all the wine tasting you could want. There's breweries. There's cideries. There's cocktail bars. Yeah. Like, yeah right. It's Sebastopol. a cool spot. When right. our proximity to the ocean is really cool, too. You can get out to Bodega Bay in 20 minutes and... Mm. Go to uh, Spud Point for your chowder and your crab sandwiches, mm. and you know Freestone Bakery. Oh God, right? That's yep. to die for. Right, yep. right down the street. I'll write a whole itinerary for you. Come out and visit <laughs> us. <laughs> I think I have at least one or two saved in Word Dogs, like the go-to West County circuit, right. Armstrong Woods and Jenner and Rivers End, and oh, yeah, yeah. Now, is this dog-friendly if people want to come with their dog here? We do not allow dogs just because we get so many, you know, dog allergy right. folks that come in, but. You know, take them to puppy camp, come out and visit us. Okay. <laughs> we can recommend a puppy camp too. <laughs> there is a puppy camp very close that we bring our dogs and uh, it's a good one. Canine Activity Club over in Santa Rosa. Okay. They are stellar. Okay. Yeah, we're not picking and choosing either. Our dogs are not allowed in this house anymore. So it's a fact. <laughs> right. Ever since we renovated it, they yeah, know. Okay, right. your porch dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Huck and Finn, we got to shout them out. They uh, keep critters out of the vineyard and... Find them on Instagram. Yeah, find them on Instagram <laughs> at Kanzler Vineyards is our Instagram han- handle. Perfect. Bart, you got any shout outs? Um, nothing right off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, getting ready to get into harvest here. Yeah. Um, thanks to all the people that have been uh, contacting us. We have people uh, coming out here in the next month and a half or two months coming out to visit. So I've been sending them my own list of what to do in Sonoma Valley. And um, uh, so we're looking forward to seeing them and uh, getting ready for harvest. Yeah, it's going to get a little more challenging here um, with the podcast in the next couple of months. To Happy get harvest, everyone. Yeah. People on the show. So you might, next, next Wednesday might be a problem with me, but we'll figure it out. Well, but if you yeah. get the like underslept, kind of stressed out winemakers, especially with a glass or two of wine, you know, that's when the real truths come right. out. That's exactly so, yeah, you're not taking Alex. Right. No, the, the, yeah, the problem is actually setting an appointment with them. We might have some uh, some cheese makers or something on the show. There for you a go. Months. Just show up at one of their picks, you know. <laughs> 3 a.m. Yeah, do it at the back I'm of the sure truck. they would love that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you out during harvest at 3 a.m. Come right. back and see us. Right. Uh, we'll get Eric. You get Eric on the microphone. Get Eric Neal on the microphone. <laughs> It'd be good yeah, for a story or two. At 3 a.m. I'm actually making my first wine this year with the help of anyone that knows a little bit more than I do, which is pretty much 98% of people out there. <laughs> that sounds so Congrats. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Bart will be helping me out a lot, I'm sure. What are you going to um, make? Uh, a little Roussan, one ton of Roussan oh, from uh, Rossi Ranch Vineyard. So farmed by Phil Couturier, it'll be nice fruit. Look yeah. forward to it. Really and, cool. Uh, Brian will have like 25 opinions on what to do <laughs> at any given time. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, but only mine matters. So well, <laughs> I'll expect. You're the consulting Bo- winemaker Bo- Bo- on this I want project. a Beau Castel-esque wine. Yes, right? please. <laughs> Well, I've never made Roussan, so, you know, we'll go from there. (laughs) I got the perfect person helping me, see? Awesome. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wreak havoc on Roussan. (laughs) (laughs) Wreak havoc. I I might be drinking a lot of Roussan at the house. That could be a shirt. Wreak havoc on... (laughs) Or Roussan wreaks havoc. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you guys, we really appreciate you having uh, having us uh, come out here on the property. And unfortunate that uh, Danny couldn't join us. I know he's out there busy selling your wine. Oh, yeah. 
We yeah. hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we hope. He's not and, drinking uh, under his desk. I uh, hope. Rest assured that you will probably be getting a call within the next couple of weeks from someone at the Fairmont to re-up on your wine. Are you still selling the 2011 if people want that? Don't tell anyone. I found, I've got a couple of bottles. You want a little? I'm just curious if someone said, oh, we'd really like to have that on our... If you listen to this podcast and you call my cell phone... Promo code and you say, 2011. Promo yes. code, free cell phone number. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Tell them you heard, heard us on this podcast and you really want a bottle of 2011, I'll find you a bottle of 2011. There but for real, though, we're talking about like... Less oh, than ten cases. Yeah, like, there's no, not less really than five cases. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so but, and it's a one case minimum purchase. But I mean, it's <laughs> no not way. that. It's no, no, no. Three bottle max. You can have three, three bottle bottles max. at the yeah. most. It's one of those wines that's drinking beautifully right now, and yeah. you know, I I want to get it into people's hands. So yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, good luck with harvest. Everything Thank looks beautiful you. out here. Your property's beautiful. Appreciate Thank it. you. Yeah. No, we love. Uh, thanks for coming harvest. out. Yeah, yeah, this was a privilege for us. I've never done a podcast before this is my first podcast yeah. yeah kind of painless right yeah hey i was a little nervous but i'm i'm good let's keep the wine flowing right <laughs> <laughs> well you know in the past we've or we do on occasion do two podcasts in a day and um the second podcast is a little looser and not quite as professional sometimes <laughs> Um, and Bart and I might be recovering a little bit from uh, from yesterday's podcast with uh, with Hawk Waka Waka was on and, round um, two right because I listened to round her, two and yeah. and Bart and I decided to stay after and have a little bit of fun so um, I got in a little Cheers trouble last night yeah yeah <laughs> you guys can you guys can rent out the farm stay here come stay oh gosh during harvest and watch a pick at three a.m. we <laughs> welcome guests to come out and check out the harvest farm it's a farm okay and is it a noisy thing where like at 3 a.m. they're getting no, woken up or they, don't they, they hear have to it at all okay. but if they come out front they can you know we'll lead them into the vineyard we've we've had the opposite experience like i'll be dropping bins off at like nine o'clock like as the sun's going down and somebody will come out to say hello or get something out of the car oh yeah no we want to come out for the pick we want to see it and oh yeah we're gonna be there and then no, they no. Sleep right through it <laughs> no we've had yeah. one group one group staying came and saw here a pick. that came and saw a pick yeah. you got to get the uh, pickers fired up you know you totally. need some some yelling and some get them fired up. Oh, yeah. should, that'll wake them up, right? <laughs> Just have them like blasting their warm up music yeah. in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something we've talked about before. And I think it was Sam's great idea is to actually have um, some sort of ag tourism where we have people come out and pay us to pick grapes. Yep. <laughs> it's a dream. Sam must be a farmer. He must come Sam, from a farming family. We're going to make that this happen at some point. That it's going to be the, a lot of these CrossFit guys, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell them, oh, we got a we gotta CrossFit for you. Oh, oh yeah. You're, you're ours for two oh, weeks. Oh, you break them in 90 minutes. You, know, you can deadlift whatever, but yeah, try to pick for real for Your more than an hour. It's done. crushed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to uh, um, uh, direct you to cancer.com. Thank you for letting us come out. Um, we will look forward to talking to you next week. You can always find us at radiomisfits.com uh, slash the winemakers and check out uh, past episodes. Please leave us a review. We love to get those reviews. We like uh, four and five star reviews. Bart, <laughs> Bart says he doesn't like four star reviews, just five star reviews. So that kind of moves us up in the property. Can you give a shout out to, to this that people can actually download for yeah. free? You said everyvine.com. Yeah, it's not even an app, it's just everyvine.com. And um, gosh, I don't even know that. And so they can go on it and actually find just your property. Absolutely. Yeah. And just type, type in it in, Kanzler. type in Kanzler. Yeah. And see exactly see where, where we are, are today. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool.
it it's it it is a complete time waster. Um, oh yeah, you can get sucked in. Yeah, it's a total rabbit hole. You can um, cork dork out all day long. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because we were kind of curious who some of your neighbors were, and and um, so I think we're both going to go home and check yeah, this out. Yeah, please do. All right, you guys, thank you again. Thank you. This has been the Winemakers. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, everybody.